This is Peace Talks Radio, the series about peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls with Sarah Holtz. Long before the United States became a nation and implemented American democracy as we know it today, there were town meetings. By the 17th century, a constellation of small towns had spread across New England, each with its own assembly of citizens that would convene, deliberate, and make decisions together. Nearly 400 years later, the town meeting tradition has endured in New England, though with each passing decade, towns are seeing a steady decline in participation. On this episode of Peace Talks Radio, correspondent Sarah Holtz brings us a conversation about conflict resolution through the lens of town meeting. We'll hear from four individuals who actively participate in their own town meetings. Our first guest is Peter Ashton, who served as his town's selectman for nine years and just ended his tenure as the town moderator of Acton, Massachusetts, which is located northwest of Boston. Uh, I was the elected town moderator for five years, and before that I had been essentially the assistant for about three years. I wonder if you could describe the town of Acton for those who have never been to this part of Massachusetts. Sure, sure. Well, Acton is uh, second only to Concord and Lexington in terms of history dating back to the uh, Revolutionary War days. Uh, the famous battle uh, in Concord was actually led initially by Minutemen from uh, Acton, not from Concord, which is something that very few people know. So we, it's something we, we're very proud and we remind people from Concord about all the time. <laughs> Do you happen to know if for the, the whole time that Acton has been a town, has, have they always held town meetings? Yes, in fact, Acton uh, became a town. Uh, it, it separated itself from Concord in 1735, and it had its first town meeting in 1735 and has had continuous town, annual town meetings ever since. Next, we meet Jessamine West. She's a librarian and community technologist in the town of Randolph, which is located at the geographic center of Vermont. Jessamine occupies several civic roles in Randolph, one of which brings her front and center on each election day. I'm an elected justice of the peace, which means that every two years I kind of run for elections. And being a justice of the peace means I think what people know it as is that you can perform weddings. But it also means that you're kind of automatically a notary if you want to be a notary so you can notarize documents. It also means that I serve on the Board of Civil Authority and the Board of Abatement, which are both two kind of peer boards. So if you're somebody in town and like your shed burned down, but you're still getting taxed for your shed, you can go to the board and be like, this isn't fair. So it's very like rah, rah, rah kind of taxi stuff. And so I also um, I staff the polls during elections. So during elections, I'm like an official person who checks you in or checks you out or counts the ballots. So it's always very interesting to see democracy in action. Jessamine West is a librarian and community technologist in Randolph, Vermont. There's an old political insult that still occasionally comes up today. It goes, you couldn't get elected dog catcher. Well, in 2018, NPR ran this story which took that joke to task. Zeb Towns, my name, short for Zebulon, uh, and I am the elected dog catcher in Duxbury. Town is truly one of a kind. Do you know if you're the only elected? I am the only elected dog catcher. All the other ones are appointed. In Vermont or? The United States. Amy Kolb Noyes reported this story for Vermont Public Radio, where she's been covering town meetings for decades. Here, Amy explains how she approaches her job when town meeting day rolls around each year. 
So much of what happens at town meeting is mundane. It's voting in a school budget and it's voting in a town budget that covers the highway department and the town clerk's office and things like that. So every town has that sort of laundry list of things that need to be done. But then some towns have quirkier things going on. So I tend to look for that. Quirky or not, each decision at town meeting warrants careful deliberation. Our fourth and final guest, Susan Clark, has written extensively on local decision-making. Susan currently serves as the town moderator of Middlesex, Vermont, and in 2012 she co-wrote a book called Slow Democracy. The idea behind Slow Democracy is um, it's a, a spin on the slow food movement where people who appreciate slow food say, you know, you know what, our you know fast food has just gotten way too far from the source and uh, it's way too processed and we should be doing better to, you know, have food that is locally created and we can know the growers and then we'll understand the food better and eat better and, you know, eating is an agricultural act and uh, let's let's be connected to that. Slow Democracy kind of says the same thing about our decision-making. We should be able to be involved um, in our decisions. Um, we should understand where the proposals came from and then what is our role in, in moving them forward. With Slow Democracy, we really see our connection to our decision-making. Now that we've heard a bit from each of the experts on our panel, we're going to dive into a discussion about conflict resolution and civic capability at town meeting. To begin, Susan Clark debunks a few common misconceptions about the town meeting tradition. A lot of Americans hear the word town meeting, and these days a lot of people use the word town hall meeting, and so they will think of a time when, you know, a politician, you know, will gather people together and say, we're going to talk about health care, and we're a town meeting on health care, or a town meeting on, you know, whatever, and, and it basically means that the politician uh, is going to roll up their sleeves and maybe sit on a stool. And other than that, you know, it's just like a meeting, you know, where people kind of sound off. New England town meetings are something very, very different from that. They're actually the legislative branch of the local government. So we have a like a select board that's the executive branch, you know, like the president, you know, is the executive and the legislature is the legislative uh, at the national level or at the state level. At the town level, um, we have this the this executive body um, that, that, you know, meets throughout the year, but the legislative uh, body is anybody who shows up at town meeting who's a voter. Again, Peter Ashton. The ground rules of town meeting are very important. It's critically important that we have civil discourse in town meeting. And obviously these days that gets harder and harder <laughs> because people are very opinionated. They're used to uh, going on their Twitter accounts and saying pretty much whatever they want to. And we don't allow that at town meeting. Town meeting has a long storied history uh, backed up by, by legal cases that say you cannot be critical of other town meeting members. You can be critical about issues. You can say, I believe this is the right way to do things, or I believe this is not the right way to do things. But you are not permitted to say, Mr. Smith over there is dead wrong and, you know, he should shut up or something like that. That is strictly not permitted. I think I've been town moderator about... 15 years or so. It's elected every year. So, you know, you never know from year to year if you're going to get reelected. But um, I think town moderators tend to, if you do a good job, people tend to stick with them. And I've really enjoyed it. I see it as a, almost like a convening and hosting job as much as a, other people will say, eh, it's part referee, you know, part, uh, you know, 
bar bouncer, you know, <laughs> lots of different, lots of different roles. But um, I, I think my main job is to really welcome people into the process. I'm really there to literally moderate the discussion, make sure it stays on a high plane and on topic. There's a strong element of storytelling to being a moderator where you say, you know, well, here's where we are in the agenda and here's where we are in the discussion. So-and-so just proposed a motion to amend. Um, that amendment has now been seconded. So what we're focusing on right now is this amendment. And once we decide on the amendment, we'll get back to the main question. You know, really just helping people navigate the decision-making process. And I've done this with, with uh, students, uh, you know, do mock town meetings and whatnot. And they're, they're kind of skeptical at first. But what I hear again and again from students is, wow, that really helped. Uh, I, I understood what was happening. And it wasn't just this, you know, kind of like the free for all you have at Thanksgiving dinner with, you know, Uncle Charlie. It was like, here's what we're talking about. And this is how we're going to get through this together, folks. You know, and there's this reassuring quality um, to having a, you know, a well-moderated discussion. Peter Ashton and Susan Clark there. Now again, public radio reporter Amy Kolb-Noyes. I think one of the most remarkable things about town meetings is how much they don't change, (laughs) actually, to be honest with you. um, Town meeting happens in Vermont um, in early March. So we are just starting to break out of winter here. and, And a lot of people, that means they've been cooped up all winter. It's hard to get around for some people in the wintertime here. So um, one of the biggest things about town meeting is the social aspect to it. And that never changes. Here again, Susan Clark. I mean, recent years, we certainly have, I'm going to just say, we have worse modeling at the, at the national level, in the media, for how to, how to do deliberation, or even just how to talk about stuff. We don't have great models for civility, uh, for active listening, for um, tolerance and, and bringing together, uh, you know, co-creating solutions. I find we still have good skills at the local level, um, but they're challenged every day by what we hear and, and see in the media. So I think um, our deliberation can get a little more shrill and more divisive. The other thing when I say media, I also mean social media because um a lot of what we see online is, you know, relatively anonymous comment commenters and, you know, people just kind of, you know, flaming, you know, throwing out their their beliefs that they, they had at 11 o'clock one night when they were, you know, ticked off by some, you know, meme they saw, which is very different from sitting next to your neighbor uh, and you both serve together on the fire department or, you know, you're, both your kids are on the same soccer team or, you know, what, whatever it is, um, and you are disagreeing on something fundamental, you know, you, that's a person you're going to have to look in the eye. Uh, and when you leave the meeting and you're driving home that night and your car skids into a snowbank, uh, you know, who's going to pull you out? You know, so neighbor to neighbor, face to face, what tends to happen is that we maintain some of that old-fashioned civility through those face-to-face encounters year in and year out, decade in and decade out, and frankly, uh, century in and century out, because these New England town meetings have been going on since before uh, the United States was the United States. Um, And what we see is that New England... um, social capital, you know, the, the, those civic skills, that tolerance, reciprocity, volunteerism, all those qualities that make 
you know, abutters into neighbors, you know, that all those, all those community uh, qualities um, are quite strong in places that have a town meeting tradition. And we, we can't say cause and effect, but there's good, you know, data to show us that um, there, there might be a relationship between how we govern ourselves year in and year out and, um, and how we live together. To what degree are the town's demographics represented at town meeting? Well, it's really interesting. Town of Randolph, Justice of the Peace, Jessamine West. Because it's in person, right? So you have to be able to go. Historically, town meeting is on a Tuesday. Historically, way back in the day, you do your farming in the morning and then everybody would go to town meeting or your job. Everybody in town would get the day off to go to town meeting. So, of course, you'd get as many people as you could right? Kids were in school, so parents could go, theoretically. Realistically, though, any day you choose for town meeting is going to be inclusive of some people and exclusive of other people. And realistically, our town meeting is mostly, not all, old-timers, meaning, you know, older people who are retired, um, civic-minded liberal do-gooders like myself, Um, with flexible schedules. So like, you know, internet nerd type people who can do their internet job at some other time. And often, whatever the population is where there's a thing coming up. So we have a lot of uh, back and forth drama about our fire districts. (laughs) So a lot of times there are also a lot of volunteer firefighters. And it's funny because they always sit in the back corner. (laughs) And then like me and the sort of knitting liberal do-gooder nerds often sit in the front left corner. And then a lot of the kind of old timer retirees kind of sit in the front center because so they can hear all the government people, like the people who are our select people, our elected representatives, the town manager, the the finance manager, they sit in the front left. But you don't see the people with jobs. (laughs) And that's a problem. Do you think that there's any link between socioeconomic class and participation at town meeting? I tend to think not. I like to think not. Uh, I I think it's more a matter of uh, people coming from different cultures who may not really understand what town meeting is all about. Uh, They may come from areas where, you know, democratic government is something that's somewhat foreign to them. And so when you get to town meeting, which obviously, in my view, is the purest form of democracy, uh, they may not really understand it. But I, th- I, I don't think it really runs so much along socioeconomic lines. I mean, you see people, you know, acting is, is somewhat diverse. And, uh, you know, you see people from all walks of life and all socioeconomic bases coming to town meeting. That was Peter Ashton, former town moderator of Acton, Massachusetts. And this is Susan Clark, town moderator of Middlesex, Vermont. I think that in any governance situation, there's always ends of the spectrum that it's harder to engage. The very wealthy folks don't um, often have time. And, um, you know, there are class issues at work here. The folks at the needier end of the economic spectrum, also it's hard to engage. And Middlesex is no different in that way. We um, make a, a lot of effort to try to make our meetings accessible. One of the most important ways, I think, is just to keep them civil um, and welcoming. But it is a continuing struggle to get people 
especially folks who aren't um, necessarily, you know, used to being listened to, folks who know that they might be uh, in the minority on a particular issue, that's always going to be harder to, um, to make them feel like it's worth their time to come. Again, Peter Ashton. I think you're generally we're seeing, a, you know, a greater uh, breadth in terms of representation. Uh, there's still the old adage, though, that, you know, if you have an issue that you feel really strongly about and you can convince 300 or so of your friends to come, you can usually get whatever you want passed. <laughs> Here's Jessamine West, Justice of the Peace in Randolph, Vermont. By the end of town meeting, when the other business comes up, such as, should we be a sanctuary city, which I think is has a lot of utility. I mean, sanctuary city meaning, you know, you're not going to let ICE come in and harass people and send them off to toxic secret prisons, that kind of thing. There weren't even that many people there to talk about it. There wasn't honestly much of a debate, right? Because in a general sense, those people are part of our community. They have jobs alongside of us. And so there really wasn't a lot of debate. Sanctuary cities, the people who were left at town meeting, many of whom stayed at town meeting in order to make sure that was going to go through. And, you know, town reports published. You could know it if you cared to know it. Everybody was like, yeah, no, we're totally into it. Like, I mean, there was a little bit of debate about like, what does that really mean? Is that a real thing? Like, what are, what does that mean we're actually going to do? But by and large, the people who were left were like, yep, we're for it. That's Jessamine West of Randolph, Vermont. After a break, Sarah Holtz continues our exploration of conflict resolution town meeting style with Vermont Public Radio's Amy Kolb Noyes and more from all of our other guests, too, in a moment. listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls, along with correspondent Sarah Holtz, who's taking us into the tradition of town meetings as a tool for community democracy and conflict resolution. And now we continue our conversation about this direct democracy and the New England town meeting. Here's reporter Amy Kolb Noyes. I'll tell you the story of Hyde Park, which is a town that I used to cover closely for the small local newspaper. And Hyde Park now holds their town meeting in an auditorium at the local high school. Um, But back then, back in the day, as they say, they used to hold it at the gym at the elementary school. And they'd set up folding chairs all down the gym and with an aisle going down the middle. So there were chairs to the left, chairs to the right, and then a table in front of the stage 
where the select board sat or during the school meeting, the, the school board would sit there. And it was completely divided down that middle line. To one side were all of the people who were born and raised in that town. And on the other side were all of the people who had moved in. And there was rarely anyone crossing that line. It was the most divided community I had ever seen. This was uh, a town that was going through a teacher strike, um, leading up to a teacher strike, and then in the wake of the teacher strike. And, and those political lines were very much reflected in that type of demographic. So it was super, super interesting. And it wasn't until they moved the meeting to the high school with a, a auditorium set up, no line down the middle, that people started sort of sitting next to their neighbor. Did that deliberation process extend for a long period of time compared to others you've seen, or how did that play out? It was. It did tend to be a, a long meeting. So um, a, I would say a short meeting in Vermont terms goes into lunch, and that one almost always came back after lunch. Again, Jessamine West. One of the things our town manager, who is fairly new, decided to do, we had a couple uh, retirements in our police force, which is small, and it only serves the village. So if you live up in the neighborhood up the hill or the one over the hill, you get state police or you can call our police, but they're not your police and you don't pay taxes for them. And so after we had a bunch of retirements, the town manager was like, maybe we don't need police. We had like some really spirited debate in town about whether we needed local police, whether we wanted to contract with the county sheriff to provide services, whether we wanted no police, which means if you have a problem, you call the state police who are not necessarily that nearby and there's not that many of them. And it was so fascinating. And I went to those meetings and man, the debates really like way out on one side were people that are just like, you're going to devolve into lawlessness with no police. Like this is a nightmare. We have incipient drug problems, opioid crisis. It's just, you know, almost boiling over and with no police. Blah. And then you have other people who are like, nope, like all cops are bastards. Like just, we need none of it. And people in the middle being like, well, I'm a little concerned about like drug dealing that happens in town and whatever. Or, I mean, we had a local policewoman who was amazing and kind of part of her job was really community policing. She was active on Facebook. You could interact with them. You could talk to them. She was friendly. She knew the kids in school. And so when there was a kid in school who was maybe having some emotional problems and access to weapons, they could talk to that kid before it became another national tragedy. And when you look at that kind of work, that police can do, you can kind of see why that might be a thing communities could invest in. And it and it's awkward for me because I have very strong feelings about how many police are. At the same time, you watch stuff like that happen and you're like, well, it's a community good, right? The same way the library is, the same way the school is, the same way having a hospital is that's worth being supported by the community. And I would not that would not have been a position I would have held 10 or 15 years ago. One of the issues that's come up with town meeting in the last several years is people tend to come just for particular issues. Uh, whereas, you know, back when I first got involved, 
generally town meeting was something that people came, they stayed for the whole thing and then left. That doesn't happen as much anymore. Uh, People have both specialized interests and they also have very busy uh, schedules. So that that became an issue uh, in terms of trying to predict how long town meeting was going to last because everybody was calling me and saying, well, when are we going to deal with this article? Is it going to be Monday night or is it going to be Wednesday night and that sort of thing? So that was a big challenge. Speaking there was Peter Ashton, former town moderator of Acton, Massachusetts. And here now, Jessamine West, Justice of the Peace in Randolph, Vermont. Town report is a thing that gets published before town meeting. It is a paper thing, although now they print less of the paper version and more PDFs. But the interesting thing about the difference between a paper town report and a PDF that's up on the town website is a paper town report is essentially, in some ways, private, right? You have it, you read it with your eyeballs, and you put it down, and it exists where it physically is. You can go read it in the library. You can read an old copy of it. But if it's a PDF that's put up on the website, theoretically, that can get indexed by Google. And so it's a big deal in a tiny town that does a lot of what it does with the money that they get from taxes when people don't pay their taxes. But if people have a hardship, what winds up happening if one person doesn't pay their taxes is everyone has to chip in a little more or the town has to do without a thing. And so back to town meeting, basically they made a decision to have a PDF that was made a year prior. But what that means is people whose taxes are delinquent have always had their names published in the town report. Now, I think that's garbage. I think it's shaming people. I think it doesn't encourage people to pay their taxes. It just makes people grumpy and mad about the process. Although, to be honest, a lot of the delinquent tax people are like sometimes people who own land that they didn't know they had to pay taxes on or big companies that own lots of stuff and they're just late. But so people's names are published. And if they're published in a PDF that's put on the Internet, they're findable via Google. Right. And a lot of people around here in my small town don't have a very big Internet footprint. Right. You try to Google somebody in town to learn more about them and you won't. And so we had this healthy debate at town meeting about what to do about that particular issue. And I was one of the kind of nerds who stood up and was like, well, this stuff gets indexed by Google. We may want to rethink how we deal with delinquent tax shaming or whatever it is with this new piece of data, which is that it's going to be on the internet. Internet footprints of people are small and we're contributing to this as a town, like as a government. And that's a choice we're making and we need to think about the repercussions of that choice. Yeah, I suppose research on town meeting over the past 10 or 20 years has shown that there has been a decline in participation and attendance. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that um, and talk about what has changed attendance, what has changed participation, and um, what you might see for the future. Sure. This is Susan Clark again, author of Slow Democracy. Uh, Frank Bryan, uh, University of Vermont political science uh, professor, did extraordinary research on town meetings across Vermont. Um, and uh, town meeting is notoriously hard to study because they kind of all happen around the same time. Um, and uh, how are you going to study something? It's not just gathering numbers. Um, so Professor Bryan uh, did send students out and gathered some terrific data over 30 years. And 
he was able to make some important conclusions in his book, Real Democracy. One of them is town size matters a lot in terms of attendance and participation. Um, the smaller the town in general, the higher per capita participation. And this is a really important finding for us because it tells us about scale and basically sort of a, a, an element of human nature that we might have not have realized, which is that... Um, our connection to place matters, and our relationship with each other uh, affects our personal political power and our sense of efficacy. Um, so people are more likely to participate if they are deciding on, you know, at, at scale. You know, here in New England, when we ask people to come and, you know, again, sit in a folding chair and for four hours and talk about the price of gravel um, <laughs> with very little uh, PR, you know, very little hype. It's just, you know, y'all come kind of thing. We see a lot of people willing to spend a lot of hours. But um, there is a decline, and um, part of that is people, uh, you know, congregating in larger communities where they see their own um, relationship to power um, differently. Um, so town size is a big factor. And um, are there important issues on the warning? Are we giving people real things to talk about? And that's what gets people, you know, a big surprise, you know. But uh, no, people really aren't going to waste their time talking about nothing, you know. Again, here's Peter Ashton. When I first became moderator, I actually did a study on Acton's attendance at both regular annual town meeting and special town meetings. And as I said before, we're a town of about 20,000. We have about somewhere between twelve and 13,000 registered voters. Back in the 90s, uh, when we were actually a town of maybe... 17,000. We used to average around seven, maybe 750 voters would come to a typical annual town meeting uh, night, usually the first night, which is when we deal with financial articles, we attract a few more people. Um, in the last 10 years, it's dropped. We're lucky now if we get 500 people to come, unless there is a hot topic. And if there's a hot topic, we can get as many as 2,000 people to show up. Um, but that is really rare. I, I can think of in the 30-some years that I've been going to town meeting in Acton, I can think of three times that we've had a large number of people, one of which was just uh, a year ago, actually, or two years ago, rather. Uh, and the topic was uh, rather controversial. Can you say what it is or no? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the topic was whether we would allow um, retail uh, sales of marijuana in Acton. It was very, very controversial, as you might imagine. We had actually already done a ballot vote. The whole Commonwealth had done a ballot vote about legalization. The town of Acton actually had voted for legalization uh, in order to then prevent retail establishments from coming to town. There had to be both uh, a ballot vote and a town meeting vote to essentially rescind the prior vote. And so this was the town meeting vote, and it was, uh, needless to say, very controversial. We had, oh, I think around 1,600 people show up, uh, lots of debate. It was very good debate, uh, I would say, but it was, it was interesting. It was very interesting, and ultimately uh, the town voted not to have sales of marijuana in Acton. So... Does town size matter in these meetings? Town size does matter. Reporter Amy Culp-Noyce. And especially now, 
there's a lot of towns that don't hold meetings because they sort of outgrew it. So that's one way. Uh, and then there's there's a town uh, down in southern Vermont that has representative town meeting. So they actually elect a rep a group of representatives to go to town meeting and sort of be their proxy and and hold sort of professional town meeting attendees. Uh, and that's I've never been there, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> sounds like Acton is a bigger town. Do you think town size matters in terms of town meeting? Yeah, absolutely. So in a town like Acton, um, we have open town meeting, which means anyone can anyone who's a registered voter can come and vote at town meeting, express their views as well as vote. You look at Acton with its, you know, 13,000 registered voters and only 700 people or maybe a thousand on a rare, rare night actually show up. Other towns, you know, uh, are fighting that same issue, and and there is a push in some of the towns like Acton to move to a representative town meeting because they feel it is to the town has gotten so large that somehow open town meeting doesn't work. I kind of disagree with that simply because we still aren't. It's not like we're having to deal with overflow crowds at any of our meetings, so I think it still works just fine, uh, and it's more a matter of trying to create a positive atmosphere for people to want to come to town meeting. Uh, and, and I think that's the part that's getting more and more difficult. That was Peter Ashton, former town moderator of Acton, Massachusetts. And just ahead, Susan Clark, author of Slow Democracy. I also heard um, that there are developments um, in Vermont in terms of participation for folks who are at home during town meeting, being able to participate. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, actually, I think Middlesex was <laughs> a bit of a leader on this one. We offer a remote town meeting participation. Um, and, you know, anybody who's ever been on a Skype meeting, you know, would say, well, this is a no-brainer. Why not? You know, why not have electronic participation? You know, the town meeting is, is held, ours is held at our school. Other other places have them at the town hall or whatever. Um, but then we, uh, uh, if, if somebody needs to... Um, participate from home, whether for health reasons or sometimes, um, you know, if maybe they're deployed in the military, they can see and they can participate by audio as well. It's it's tricky because I'm saying it's just, you know, hey, it's just Skype. But in fact, this is a legislative body. And so, you know, we have to be careful who's, you know, that if you were going to participate, you, you must be a registered voter in that town. And we have to have some credible way to, you know, make sure that's who's participating. Their participation needs to be in real time. I mean, when I say as a moderator, all those in favor say I, and you hear I, you don't want a three-second delay there, <laughs> you know, and, you know, one person voting by themselves or, or whatever. So, it, you know, the technology needs to be tuned into the deliberative process. So the town of North Andover is now allowing people who are maybe watching town meeting at home on local cable TV to submit questions by text uh, or email, I guess, uh, that can then be read by the moderator and then answered uh, on town meeting floor by the appropriate person. Uh, and it's an attempt to begin to bring town meeting uh, outside just the purview of the meeting itself and to allow people uh, some remote access in terms of being able to answer, ask and answer questions. How do you feel about that change? I think it's good. Uh, I think the path that it inevitably leads to would be potentially uh, voting from home, 
which I do have a problem with. And the problem I have with that is, frankly, town meeting is not just uh, a voting process, but town meeting is the entire legislative process of local government. And that includes debate. And debate and discussion of issues is critically important because I've seen any number of times at town meeting where you think the vote is going to go in one direction after the initial presentation has been given, yet after the debate and discussion has occurred, the vote actually turns around in the opposite direction because people's minds have been changed after they hear what their neighbors have to say. You would lose that if you started having uh, remote voting, and I think that would probably begin to undermine sort of one of the major principles of town meeting. That was Peter Ashton, and here now, reporter Amy Kolb-Noyes. The big topic every year as town meeting comes around is, is town meeting dying because, you know, it doesn't fit into people's schedules anymore like it used to. We're not all um, farmers who don't have a lot to do in early March, right? So that's always a big question. How do we keep town meeting viable and relevant? Our panel today on Peace Talks Radio is taking us inside the world of New England town meeting, the 400-year-old conflict resolution tradition that is still in practice in many New England locales today. Sarah Holtz is moderating and has more questions for our guests when Peace Talks Radio, a series and podcast on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution, continues right after a break. I'm Paul Ingalls. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio, the program about peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. We're online at peacetalksradio.com. You're listening to our November 2019 episode about town meeting. Before the United States even became a nation and formally began the American democracy experiment, 17th century New England town folk were convening, deliberating, and making decisions together about their communities. The town meeting tradition has endured in New England all these years later, and our correspondent Sarah Holtz is presenting highlights from four interviews she's done to explore the world of town meeting. Her guests are Susan Clark, currently the town moderator of Middlesex, Vermont, and co-author of the 2012 book called Slow Democracy. Also, Vermont Public Radio reporter Amy Kolb-Noyes, who's covered these town meetings. Jessamine West from Randolph, Vermont. And next up, Sarah has a question for Peter Ashton, who served as his town's selectman for nine years before recently ending his tenure as town moderator of Acton, Massachusetts, just northwest of Boston. What has town meeting taught you about conflict resolution? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think compromise is really important. 
Uh, I think sense of humor is real important. And I think thinking about the common good is real important. And those are all things that happen at town meeting. The compromise part may actually not happen at town meeting. Uh, it may happen before in the lead up to town meeting. Uh, I've seen that happen a couple of times. Um, I actually witnessed in another town compromise occur right on town meeting floor, which was pretty extraordinary, but there was a dispute over uh, a land issue and the disagreeing parties kind of went off to the side for about 10 minutes and they came back and they worked a solution up, which is pretty remarkable, frankly. But I think that's the important part to me of town meeting is, is you know, trying to work through solutions uh, being able to come up with, with good ideas that are for the good of the town uh, and making sure that everybody understands that they may disagree, but they've got to live with one another on a day-to-day basis. That was Peter Ashton. Here's Jessamine West, Justice of the Peace in the town of Randolph, Vermont. When I started here um, going to town meeting, you just showed up. Now there's like a coffee and donuts and potlucky kind of snacks thing beforehand to try and encourage people not only to get in, but to like have something to eat. (laughs) So you're not, you know, having a crash after your coffee right there. Every town tries to incentivize people differently, but it's always challenging because you're always going to be appealing to one demographic in some way and not appealing to other demographics in other ways. And so as a result, it's really tricky. And it's always interesting to me to see what the debates are, depending on who comes up. I remember one year, like a lot of our different nonprofits in town, they have to ask for money specifically. Somebody showed up from the food shelf, which is like my super charity. I love them. Uh, They do wonderful work. They are a great food shelf as food shelves go. But there were people who were like, I don't really get it. Like I work all the time. I can't afford the kind of food that people can get from the food shelf. And like, I have opinions about that, but that's like a very kind of human response to have. And it was actually great to get to see that conversation. Well, let's explain why we have fancy cake sometimes at the food shelf. And also you got a job. You're actually still welcome to come to the food shelf. Anybody. You want food, you go get food. All they ask is to prove that you live in the towns that the food shelf serves. And I felt like that was really educational, right? That that person had a concern. It made them feel a certain way about a business or a nonprofit in town. Somebody was there to be able to respond to their concerns. And also there's kind of a good outreach angle to say like anybody can come to the food shelf. It's for everybody. Everybody pitches in to help keep the doors open. And it's for everybody. We don't ask you why you're there. We don't, doesn't matter. Come get food. And that's really one of my like happy, happy places about dealing with a direct democracy. Again, reporter Amy Kolb Noyes. It speaks to the nature of a small town. These are people that uh, you're going to fight with on the school budget. You're going to argue with about how much are my taxes going up and is it worth hiring a, another guy for the road crew? Well, yeah, my my road has potholes all over it, but I don't want to pay for it. But then at the end of the day, in a small town, there's usually a town meeting lunch and you're going to all sit down together and you're going to have to say pass the beans to this person. So it, it's small town politics. And I'm wondering in your experience over the years as moderator, What are some of the conflicts that have arisen and how do you handle resolving those conflicts? 
We tend to have a pretty civil town meeting. Middlesex, Vermont, town moderator Susan Clark. The biggest tension um, has been historically around um, funding our library. Um, I would say that's one of the one of the ones that gets people heated up because it triggers concerns about who pays for um, things that are of common, uh, you know, for the common good. And what is the common good? Um, you know, what if I don't use the library? Should I be paying for it? Um, and, you know, you can ask that about anything. You can ask that about the fire department, the police, blah, blah, blah. But the library, I think, um, tends to be one of those fault lines where um, it's easy for people who love the library to mistakenly think that a person who doesn't want their taxes to be as high, to think that that person might be anti-book. So it's really easy to talk past each other and inadvertently insult each other. You know, one one end calls the other elitist and the other one calls the other one, you know, whatever. Not We don't use the word backward, but you can hear it in the voice, you know, and very troubling dynamic that we have to uh, work around. Here's Jessamine West, Justice of the Peace in the town of Randolph, Vermont. Oh my gosh, don't get me started. This is my favorite, one of my favorite topics. Like, I'm such a library nerd. So Vermont, seriously, like, has 183 public libraries um, out of 251 towns. It's got the most public libraries per capita of any state in the country. Each of them is locally funded. And what locally funded means is it's either in the town budget or you get local donations or usually what happens is at town meeting, one of the things that gets discussed is, okay, the library is asking for this much money. And this is true for a lot of different departments, but I happen to know the library. The library is asking for this much money and the town kind of, and I'm hand wavy oversimplifying, but the town kind of votes yay or nay. But it's, it's interesting. We've had some interesting things happen in our town meeting. Our library is very privacy conscious. Uh, Not all libraries are, but in general, um, you know, there's state laws about library privacy, but ours is pretty serious in that kind of, hey, if the cops show up at your door and they want your computers, our library will say, get a warrant. And there was one year that that happened. And so there was a debate at the town meeting about whether the library did the right thing. Because of course, in our world, That's exactly what the library should do. That is what the Library Bill of Rights say. That is what the library policies say. But you can imagine if you were a parent in town and there were a crime involving a child, which is what happened in this case, and your library was, your librarian was standing at the door crossing her arms when the local police, who you know, wants to work on this crime and the library is like, nah, wake up some judge in the middle of the night and get a warrant. You can imagine that would um, involve a difference of opinion. But town meeting is really where everybody gets to talk about kind of what's up with the library, you know, in mostly good ways. I feel like the more you talk about this stuff, the better and smarter everybody gets. But sometimes it can be contentious. And not all librarians historically feel super comfortable in that role of getting up and being like, this is why we made the decision that we did. It's not always seen as an extroverted profession. (laughs) And uh, it's always a little bit challenging. And so my friends who are in the library world all over the state, town meeting day is a big day talking about your budget, talking about your policies, talking about whatever, traveling to where your library is, which may not be where you live. And it's always really fascinating to me. Again, Peter Ashton, 
former town moderator of Acton, Massachusetts. You know, one of the things I usually say in my opening remarks is, you know, let's not, you know, be disagreeable with one another. Let's just disagree about how we stand on issues. And I think most people at the end of the day walk away and are not, you know, they don't carry personal vendettas or anything like that. Some of that happens, frankly, more in the lead up to town meeting. Um, And again, I think that's something that has happened more and more with social media. Uh, You know, you have these different chat groups uh, where people are expressing their opinions and there are no real controls over that. And so that does tend to get somewhat more personal. I try to stay away from that. I try, I've always tried to kind of ignore that. that. That doesn't affect me in terms of town meeting other than to know, well, there's going to be this kind of, you know, disagreement. So there may be some of that sort of leading into town meeting. But I think one of the beauties of town meeting is, you know, we're, we're all neighbors. We're all part of the same community. Um, I think generally, particularly those people who do attend town meeting, they, they really are in their minds thinking that they are looking out for the best interests of the town. And so in the end, I think people walk away and, you know, maybe they won this time, maybe they didn't. Um, but they know there'll be another day. And uh, they know that if they sort of handle this well, uh, you know, people will respect people with different opinions. Here's Susan Clark, author of Slow Democracy. People will say, mm, local decision-making, yeah, it, it sounds nice, but there are some arguments against it. And one of them is that it's not very efficient. Um, you know, they'll say it's, it's just so much faster if we could just make the decisions ourselves and not have to go out and ask people. What we're seeing really, really important, um, you know, data showing us that, in fact, the, the decisions that we make locally are, are more durable. There's more buy-in, there's less, less pushback, in it, and it builds trust. So there's a real flip side to, the, to that, you know, quote-unquote efficiency. It can really slow you down uh, at the end if you don't put in the time to engage people at the beginning. And similarly, a lot of people will say, well, you know, these are hard decisions. We need to base them on the experts and not, you know, just whoever walks in the door. Uh, and, you know, the flip side of that, of course, is that um, local decision making really um, draws from local wisdom and local values. So everyone who lives in this community has a story that is uh, that is unique and um, that can add to um, a much more well-rounded decision. So, you know, Francis Morlapay says experts should be on tap, but not on top. I really like that thought that, you know, yes, we, we're not trying to shut off any expert uh, engagement, but who, who are the leaders in a democracy? You know, it needs to be we the people. So I think that's a, an important one. And then um, I just, you know, the idea that it's easier to manage and easy to administer when we don't engage people is probably true, but where are leaders going to come from if not from local training? Local leadership skills are going to make us um, more uh, effective in emergencies. We're seeing more and more... Uh, Things like, you know, floods and wildfires and all of these uh, weather-related emergencies. Um, We can't turn to government to fix these things. We need to help each other. And Vermonters certainly have shown um, real resilience in these situations uh, of of floods and things because we're used to being a leader. You know, each individual has their own organizing and leadership skills that they have built on over the decades. So... I think that there's a um, need for this going into into the future that we're facing as well. It's quirky in that people really do have an influence over how their town is run beyond just 
electing who they want to see doing the running of the town there it feels almost like micromanaging at times but um but everybody takes it seriously you know it's a it's a serious job and like i said you get into some pretty heated debates at times but um at the end of the day you're going to sit down and have lunch together so you're it's it's going to have to be civil speaking there was reporter amy colbnoys now jessamine west justice of the peace in randolph vermont all it is is run by people, right? Like, I think it's in bigger cities, larger towns, I think a lot of people are really removed from how their government operates. So it's pretty easy to be like, well, it's us over here just dealing with their policies and them, the people who make the rules. And realistically, it's all kind of one system. It's hard sometimes to get to a meeting. People have lives. People have jobs. But for the people who do make the effort to go, it's incredibly rewarding to be in on the ground floor of democracy. Reporter Amy Kolb-Noyes. Here's Peter Ashton. Certain people, you know, we have certain people who always get up and speak at town meeting, and you can usually predict what they're going to say. Um, but that's okay. And, you know, people, you know, as long as people respect that and respect differing opinions... Uh, I think it, in the end, it actually works out really well. Now some final thoughts from Susan Clark, author of Slow Democracy. People might think that town meeting is a relic. They might think that's this old-fashioned thing, uh, and we don't need that anymore. And um, I think that uh, we need to be careful because local control isn't really old-fashioned. It's it's really in keeping with our postmodern democratic sensibilities. I mean, our expectations um, as citizens have dramatically changed since the internet. And we are not, um, as citizens, more likely to um, sort of, you know, look to the leaders and, you know, as you know, sort of that kind of 1950s command and control model where, you know, just tell us what to do and you're the experts. And that's not us. That's not us as Americans anymore. Um, we are much more, and millennials and anyone who's grew up with the internet is going to, you know, I, I've seen it happen at meetings that, you know, an expert will stand up in the front and say something and and somebody else will hold up their phone and they say, that's not what I just found out, you know, and challenge people that way. And so a model of, of uh, governance that is much more uh, not like a hierarchical top-down process and more like a wiki, you know, where we're really bringing in the wisdom and energy of people who are interested and engaged and living it um, is much more in keeping with our with today's system. And that is what a town meeting is. Um, you know, for all of its old-fashioned apple pie flannel shirt, you know, imagery that you might have, um, this is folks coming together um, to put their put their best minds together and, and really make things happen. Um, so it's a, a very modern model, and it's being used as a model in um, deliberative democracy across the world now. Are there any other examples around the world um, that kind of mirror the town meeting process? Yeah, we are seeing, I mean, participatory budgeting has gone on, um, you know, in Brazil since the 80s, and it's, you know, swept the world. The United Nations has named it a good governance practice, and it is very much like a town meeting. There's also, um, there's the something called the 21st century town meeting is, is what it was called, America Speaks, um, which isn't um, happening now, but there were a lot of lessons that that um, fed that process, and that's, that's the process that um, created what is now where um, the World Trade Centers are. Are, and you know they needed to when the World Trade Centers came down 
they needed what, what are we going to put here in their place and they drew together people from all across the uh, socioeconomic and demographic spectrum of New York to get people's uh, opinions and it was um, a, a model that was very much like a town meeting so, so a lot of these lessons about inclusion, um, about deliberation, and in particular, I think about how to empower people meaningfully um, are uh, lessons we can draw from town meeting. I'd like to ask you kind of a broad strokes question that um, Frank Bryan poses in his book, um, which is, how does town meeting contribute to civic capability? Yeah, great question. How does town meeting help enrich us as citizens? How does it make us better? I think Frank Bryan calls it small d Democrats, right? Yeah, I think there are a number of ways. Um, One of them is um, this sense of understanding that we are part of a community and really seeing the impact when you attend and participate, you can actually you know, feel the thread that you are in that tapestry. You can feel the tugs um, and and you can see how you're enmeshed. And we know from uh, actually really interesting research um, uh, now on deliberation that people are changed by an empowered deliberation. We see it in um, jury duty research, for example. When I have been involved in a deliberation where I know that my decision is binding, you know, I'm not just giving my advice to some board somewhere. I'm not just sounding off. We are making binding decisions um, at the end of our meetings about, you know, is this is this the budget we want for this year? Yes or no? All those in favor say aye. In terms of our democracy today in the United States, you know, many people have argued that it's at risk and they wonder what we can do from the top down to fix it. My argument would be, we need to do this from the bottom up. We need to do this with our neighbors together. This is the roots, this is the oxygen of our democracy, are these local decision-making processes on things where we can see neighbor to neighbor what impact uh, we play in that democracy. To hear an hour-long version of our program and full interviews with all of our guests, go to our website, peacetalksradio.com, and click to the November 2019 episode. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can go to hear all the programs in our series dating back to 2002. See photos of our guests, read and share transcripts, sign up for our podcast, order CDs, and make a donation to keep this program going into the future. All at peacetalksradio.com. Support comes from listeners like you, like Betsy Christensen, who donated in memory of her parents, John and Audrey. From chiropractor Ruben Ramirez of Spinal Health and Movement Center in Albuquerque's Knob Hill neighborhood. Support also comes from the Albuquerque Community Foundation Tides Fund and KUNM at the University of New Mexico. Nola Daves Moses is our executive director. Allie Adelman composed and performs our theme music. For Sarah Holtz, I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks so much for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio. <music>